We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Tuesday, the 25th day of October, the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and Pavel. First day back this week. How are we, gentlemen? Pavel, let's start with you. Good to see you. How was your week? Hey, good to see you guys. And uh, hello to all the listeners. You know, my week's been a little bit turbulent, but through everything, we are going to get a little bit better. And I'm trying to stay positive. It's not a very happy time for all of us, but, you know, I, I still kind of keep in my prayers and my mind that hopefully things will turn into a better direction. So thank you for having me and thank you for listening. We're happy to have you. Bruce, how are you today? How was your weekend? Um, healthy and alive as usual. Uh, weekend, pretty good. Um, relatively uneventful, I guess. Um, we finally got some rain today. Kind of delayed me a little bit, but uh, this morning, but uh, I guess afternoon now. But anyway, yeah, it's been nice. First real good rain since, uh, I don't know, probably like three months, two months. You know, I actually heard that uh, drought. Missis yeah, I actually heard the Mississippi River is uh, like they're, they're having jam ups on there because it's so low that the barge traffic actually can't get through. Yeah, there's there's places that you can actually see the riverbed. You know, so I, are we having are we, we generally are having like one of the worst droughts, right? From what I understand right now, like the worst in a hundred years, I think, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah, it's it's like worse than a hundred years. Yeah, it, it basically we're at a drought the same as we were back in uh, the the Dust Bowl, is what I keep hearing. Wow. You know, Bruce, you, you used I mean, to live well, in parts of Missouri, right? You used to live in mm -hmm. parts of Missouri. I heard that, and this is the case too, in in parts of uh, Ohio where I come from, where you get some of these backcountry dwellings. Yeah, some of these uh, these uh, areas that are Back in the sticks, shall we say, or down in the mm -hmm. holler, however you want to put it. And yeah. they have creeks back in there. Yeah. And they have these little bridges that have, it's just like a concrete slab that's got some uh, some ceramic pipe underneath of it or some culvert pipe underneath mm -hmm. of it. And that's where the water flows. And that's how you get across the creek to get to your home or whatever. Well, in certain parts of the country, you have these things and then you get so much rain, what happens? Well, the creeks overflow because freestanding water has to go somewhere. So it runs to the lowest point, usually in the creek beds and down in the culverts and they fill up. Well, sometimes these water levels will go up over those um, concrete slabs and it might be six, eight inches deep, something like that. And, you know, I had a thought. We were talking last week about electric cars and the inefficiency of these things. Do you know what happens yeah. to electric cars if they get wet? Or in this case, you um, have an electric truck, I guess. Do you, do you know what would happen to your electric car if you go over such a thing? You can't charge it anymore. It like just All more stays and goes down. All more oh. than that. It's, uh, it's yeah, most it's, likely there's about a 90 to 98% chance that the thing's going to catch on fire and explode. Yeah. Oh, God. Cause a short circuit and those batteries catch on fire. Uh-huh. Yeah. Go buy a truck. Uh-huh. So you're yeah. basically driving a, a glorified remote control car with a bomb in it, like hoping you're going to get to work. Like 
more or less. Yeah. <laughs> well, I see my kids tonight driving my car to work. It's it's great. It's yeah. a cartoon. Yeah, that's insane. Okay, let's uh, let's get into the uh, the obvious, I guess. Uh, right after you were off last week, Pavel, martial law was declared in the four areas of the annexed regions of Ukraine. So um, Donetsk, Luhansk, Kurzon, and Zaporozhia. I'm sorry. You nailed it. I'm, I'm sorry. These four areas have uh, martial, uh, Putin declared martial law in these. Of course, the people that are ruling over them, they... Um, they have a free hand to implement this stuff. And today you've got Russia saying that Ukraine is going to start pulling false flags inside of Russia. And you've got Ukraine is saying the exact same thing. And it's like going back and forth. You've got 100,000 troops being moved into Belarus. You've got the 101st Airborne, which we think they're going to uh, open up a northern front from Belarus across the Poland? border down into Ukraine. Yeah. Well, not, not into Poland. We think they're going to go south. Nope. And then- okay. You've got well the eighty second is as far as I know, the eighty second is staged eighty second airborne. They're in Poland already. That's when Biden yeah, said the, the, Yeah, yeah. If you remember, Bruce, that's when Biden said, Oh, well, don't worry, you'll see when you get there. Yeah. Yeah. And then the hundred and first has been moved into Romania. So the escalation is is happening. It it's actually like you can see it. You can see what's going on. And then you saw the videos last week of the uh the private contractors. They're building those trenches that run across the uh the countryside. Yeah. Uh, we discussed well, that. What, I, yeah, go what on. I was gonna say, John, is I mean, so if if they wanna go south from Belarus, wouldn't they be cut off if somebody came from Poland, like direction of Poland? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So if they from came from west, if they went direct, south yeah. from Poland into Belarus, but I don't think anybody's like you're not gonna have you're not gonna have NATO troops or or Western troops like Polish troops or American troops. You're not gonna see them go into Belarus. I don't see why they would do that. That would be a direct invasion. That. That wouldn't happen. Okay. Hey, I, I maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It's just yeah, I, I think I basically we're okay. It, it just looks to me like we're back to the bloody trench war where there's going to be houses blown up on each side. It's back to like the, the way it was years ago, or the way it was, you know, when it was started. A lot of civilian casualties, a lot of really cruel stuff. It's it's put they drew a line, and now we're back to World War Two, basically, but with bigger guns. Smaller guns, more powerful explosions, I should say. I saw that uh, Russia has removed the cameras in their Duma this week, which is their version of like their Congress or their parliament. Uh, before you were able to view everything that was going on in there, and now you cannot. Uh, of course, that hasn't been uh, that hasn't been really uh, much talk in in the Western press. Uh, we've been hearing that out of uh, Russian press sources that we've been looking at back channels, and also. Uh, Putin signed a decree last week saying that all medical personnel, if you have any medical training experience whatsoever, if you're a doctor, if you're a nurse, if you're a paramedic, if you're a field medic, if you're a former field medic and have military service, you can no longer leave the country. You are stuck, more or less. You, your visa to travel abroad has been revoked. It's John. And you know what's kind of really, really, really worrying me is in school, like the way my age is, the way the year I was born, I was still technically brought up, I think till sixth grade, um, you know, in the communist program. And and they taught about, the, you know, the, they talked about war and strategy and what would happen if this or that happened. And it, it's just insane because things that I remember, you know, teachers talking about in the very beginning of my life are happening. It's just very, very, very confusing how adults could have let this happen, you know? You have to consider where it's coming from 
Uh, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when we were discussing these these matters as well. Putin's a KGB guy. I mean, that's that's his background. I don't think that he's your typical KGB kind of person. You and I were speaking about this privately a couple of weeks ago or, or last week before, like I think it was in prep. And I said, it's impressive to me. And, and this is and I mean this with all sincerity. It's impressive to me how Putin has been able to kind of separate himself from the typical KGB brass as in the attitude. He, he's been able to do that. He doesn't let that, at least in my opinion, the way that I see the guy, I don't see that affecting his judgment. A, a lot of guys at that level, they'll let politics and things get in their way. Putin doesn't do that. And I don't know how but he's been able to do that. I can, this is what I think, right? When when Putin was basically being coronated by um, Yeltsin and his people, they weren't looking at, okay, the next two terms, they weren't looking at, you know, next 10 years, they were setting up basically the chessboard for a very long time. So Putin's, Putin's attitude was always as I am the permanent person. You know what I mean? All of this is a big game to keep having me, you know, stay on top. So that that's what kind of his attitude comes from. He was never looking at anyone as more than kind of temporary. You know what I mean? There's not too many people that are going up with Putin constantly. I think that's 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 the beginning of it. Anyhow. Yeah. With one exception, he's kept him with him uh, throughout everything, and that's uh, Medvedev, Dmitry Medvedev. Medvedev. He's he's yeah. been there, uh, and he's still there, and he's he's gone through all that uh, as well as um, the Russian uh, what's his name, foreign minister um, Sergey Lavrov. He's been there as well. He's been around for a long time. That guy, yeah. So there is always one or two people, but you can see the separation, and, and that's the point. Um, it, it's it mirrors what's going on in China. Same thing. Everyone's cleaning house. Everybody's speaking sites. They're digging trenches. I mean, here we are. We're like, to me, we're months, weeks away, days away from World War Three. really. I mean, like so close to what's going on over there. I mean, they're building trenches. Are you guys out of your mind? So I, I just, I don't see this, this stopping. It's only going to start getting escalated. There's going to be a lot of false flag operations, all that's good stuff. We saw that when the uh, the bombing of the Crimea Bridge happened. We thought, okay, or well, I guess it started with Nord Stream, and then of course the uh, the uh, the Crimean Bridge. And we're sitting here saying, hang on a minute, somebody or on one side or or people on both sides. I mean, we don't know. We're only speculating. Somebody's escalating this, and it's being done on on purpose. It's being done intentionally. And, and Zelensky's out running his mouth. If he's not asking for money, he's asking for guns. If he's not asking for guns, he's asking for nukes. <laughs> like, and if he's not asking for nukes, he's asking for more money again. It's a vicious cycle with this guy. You mentioned China. Uh, I want to show you this, uh, and then you can we can go back into uh, into that. But I want to show you this. This was over the weekend in China. Xi was elected for a third term, and this is right after he was coronated. This is former President Hu Jintao, who is Xi's predecessor. And he was, uh, of course, you see, the Chinese Communist Party, they, they explained everything. You see, he had to leave because of health reasons. That's, you see, clearly, that's, that's why he left. He was not in good health. <laughs> As you can see. Say goodbye Bruce, to my kids. Yeah, Bruce, does it, I mean, he's not in good health. That's a very sick man right there. He's not going to make it to the hospital. Yeah, he's, um, yeah, very sick. I'm sure he, yes. uh, uh oh, yeah. Those are glasses. He probably uh, yeah. won't. Uh, yeah, won't and she's like, "Don't worry about that paper. You don't need that. That's okay. I'll hold that for you." Poke, poke. And of course, uh, later on that day, the guy that's she's successor, his right hand guy, this guy that's right there, uh, he was removed as well. You know, very scared. They're, they're all scared. 
Did I want to? I mean, they they all know exactly. I think who's going to stay, who's not. They're consolidating. It, That's what's happening. Yeah, all of them. Yeah, China and Russia, and and I mean, Belarus is already in it. What do you think? It, because we're seeing the 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 buildup in Belarus, and we know that because of the the packs that Belarus and and Russia have, as far as militarily, you know, and, and these things, they'll answer to Russian military brass. What do you think the Belarusian top brasses and their generals are going to do? Because they tried this once before already. The Belarusian generals, after this was first floated to them about going into Ukraine, opening up a northern front, the generals in Belarus said no. So what do you think they're going to do now? If you've got Putin moving 100,000 in to Belarus, how do you think that's going to work, in your opinion? Well, what's going on is people's mentality is changing. Everybody, the mothers are scared, I'm sure, that you know, the younger guys are getting ready to defend their land. I don't think anyone from Belarus wants to go in Ukraine or will go in Ukraine. However, they are getting ready to defend Belarus. So I, what I foresee is that Belarus is definitely on the same side as Russia and probably on the same side as, you know, I don't know where China is exactly, but they're going to they stay that way. And I'll, I'll, They have a military pact with Russia. I, Okay, sure. So what I'm saying is Belarus is probably, it's it's one of those points that's just going to keep getting fortified. And there's, there's I don't know what's going to happen exactly, but it's going to be something that will spark it off so that that border will be crossed. But I think it's going to be close, you know, it, it, it's going to be, it's going to be coming from the direction of Ukraine is what I'm trying to say, I guess. That's interesting to me because I, I mean, that would imply that the Ukrainians are planning to launch an offensive against a Northern front. And I, I don't, I uh, honestly, with their resources, I mean, I understand that NATO's shipping stuff in there, but with their resources, I I don't see that. I don't see how that's possible. Regardless what's going to happen. I mean, so you, do you guys see Belarus never getting, you know, dragged into this conflict, like nothing ever happening? If, if Russia's going to go through Belarus into Ukraine, that's what everybody's scared of. People are saying that, that Putin's going to make an advance on Kiev and going to end this. But I, I don't see that being an end to it, quite frankly. I, I don't see it stopping there. Basically, what I'm suggesting is there's going to be more, you know, explosions, more people are going to be dying. And if, if Putin does move in into Kiev, he's going to clean everything out over there. But it's not going to stop the war. Like, um, even if Russia takes over Ukraine completely, I don't think NATO is going to, first of all, let it happen. Second of all, be happy if that does happen. I just don't really see Russia winning just the war that way. And that's it. Because Putin is completely in it like he it's not going to stop so whatever they're doing if they're going into ukraine it's not going to stop there just like you said john so it's, to me it's all like a battlefield i just think of all, all that land all those countries are going to get scorched by all this stuff one way or another that's just how i think yeah and you've mentioned before and i i concur with you if this doesn't happen as in like you just said putin's committed if this doesn't happen he's gonna lose well i mean he's i think he's already losing support at home and i'm not talking about from the people in the governments uh, in the russian government i'm not talking about that i think as we've talked about the way that he's consolidated i think he's he's shored himself up enough in there i think he's solid that way at least for now, I'd say yeah. Not, for now, yeah, I think he's fine. But as far as the support from the people, I mean, like pe people's lives have been lost, lots of them. Resources have been lost, assets have been lost in Ukraine already, and now you're going to expand it. They're ordering prison sentences if you don't go. They're ordering medical personnel to stay in the country. You can't leave. They're building what looks to be, and I'm just looking at it from my own perspective. They're building what looks to be the start of another Iron Curtain, which means that, that doesn't mean you can freely leave. That means you're stuck inside. 
That's what that means. So I, I don't see how he how he continues to have support of the people. But as you've said before, it has to be a constantly maintained external threat, right? Yeah. So at, at the best scenario, there, there, this Cold War that's almost so close to, you know, becoming a hot, you know, sparking up, it might last if they drag it out. I mean, if they really just keep like Berlin Wall, basically, you know, the next version of it is going to be just bigger and bigger. They could drag it out. But I think that it's like a volcano, you know what I mean? It, it might kind of puff and puff for a while, but it will at some point break. Of course, it's it's a new iron curtain, you know, that look at what's happening to currency. The world is dividing and I don't, the, the war in Ukraine in that area, some people think that it's slowing down. I just think that it's kind of more like getting ready to blow up. Bruce, your thoughts? You can jump in there. I, I know you wanted to jump in a couple of times. Apologize for talking over you. No, you guys are fine. Uh, as far as the, the situation with um, Russia, Ukraine, if the Russian people were for it originally, right, if they believe the narrative of, you know, there's Nazis in Ukraine and we're going to go get rid of them, if they believe that in the very beginning, okay, I don't really understand why they would go I, turn on Putin at this point. And here's the reason I say that. If you look at what's happening in Ukraine, um, NATO is just pumping tons of weapons and money and all kinds of like they're they're pumping a bunch of resources. And you have you have PMCs from other countries like uh, helping Ukraine. So if you're the Russian people, I would think you would agree with Putin even more if you believed the the original reason they went in and that now you you would have more of a hatred towards uh NATO uh or, you know the the western world because you're costing us our kids because of the shenanigans you're you're pulling we're trying to get rid of nazis and you're supporting nazis so you know i i i imagine he's probably losing some support but the ones that believed him in the first place i don't think he's losing those i think that would solidify their opinion yeah. And I'm, I'm just basing it on observations of the number of people that are trying to leave is is all. I mean, that's the, like the borders, are, the border crossings are jammed up of thousands of people that are that are trying to get out that don't want any part of it. And I mean, we're so we're watching videos of guys breaking each other's arms with with sledgehammers so they don't have to go. We've seen videos of, of Russian soldiers and Ukrainian soldiers both tossing their AKs and they're like, no, we're not doing any more of this. It's a war. I mean, th there is always going to be people like that. Nobody really wants to fight a war. Not people don't. But this very conflict is what's going to keep Putin in place, just like Bruce, you know, said. And it's obvious as long as this cold war, as long as this cold hot war keeps going on, Putin's going to be in power. He's not screwing up. It's basically kind of like Putin in, in a game of chess, he put himself in a position where he knows how to be, I think. It's it's a, it's become a defensive war. Russian people have always kind of like being obsessed with protecting borders and, and, and having a kind of a trench warfare because we grew up in trenches. I mean, that's that's my generation. Like I grew up partly in Belarus. Um, I played outside all day in those trenches, you know, old, old fighting old rounds. You know, when I when I talk about sitting sitting around a fire with the kids, it's it's I'm in the woods in Belarus. And I was thinking about my age. I must have been eight, nine, seven. You know, that's that's what first, second grade. Where God knows we're in the woods, you know, doing all this stuff. It's insane. You know, when, when I think about my life, this is like a flashback. It's 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 exactly what we were, you know, there were uh, tank graveyards. You know, as kids, we would climb around tanks and, and, and look through, you know, all the gun holes and this and that. And I mean, it was such a realistic thing. Like it wasn't a movie for us. 
And now it's it's actually really happening. And it's like, I know the people that are there. And and, and I, I know people that are in America and it's, it's the same basic spirit. I just don't want anybody to feel like this is unavoidable. I mean, but, but it seems so bad. If enough people get together and somehow stabilize their local, you know, their localities, their local militias, their local trade market, their local spots, they might be able to some, somehow, you know, sustain treaties and this and that. Things like water, electricity. I mean, those things are most likely non-existent at all those places right now. I mean, it is hell over there. They need rebuilding. So unless there's going to be strong escalation from the Western side, I think, you know, Russia's just going to, Russia, Belarus is going to dig in for now. Better heal, maybe. You know, I, I think you bring up a very interesting point right there when you said locales. You do things at the local level. We've been advocating for that here since we've started. You've got to get back to the local politique. You've got to get back to doing things at your level where you have control of it. Your local utilities, as you say, your local electricity, local water, uh, local uh, sanitation services, these kinds of things, your local businesses, producing at a local level. You've got to build communities and you've got to build infrastructure around that community, and you've got to build farms that surround all of that to sustain what you have in that community. Each one of these things, and of course, you've got you know ruling councils and, and local governments and things like that, that you have a say in, that you have the ability to take part in a participatory form of government and democratic rule. That is what will stop conflict on an international scale like this. Yes, you're always going to have one group that's envious of another group. That's like the basic, like that's just the human condition. Okay. That's just the way that it is. But this whole project, this whole globalized, globalization, globalist, whatever you want to call it, this whole concept has failed. And now you're, you're moving towards making a, uh, a severing or you're making a cut. You need to make a, a cut between the European and the Russian economies. You've had these economies that are so intertwined on each other. Europeans haven't developed their own energy, and what energy they did develop, such as nuclear, has all been shut down because you were dependent on Russian oil and gas. And I'm not making a poke at the Russian people. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. The, the Russian people are, the ones that I've met, are, are good, decent, honest, hardworking people, very hospitable people. And so I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking about the governments and the businesses and the corporations are, are and the, the, the bank heads of Black, like BlackRock and all these other interests that do these deals. You look at things in the sense of profit, 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 which I'm a free market guy. I'm not against that. But when you're going to operate in a free market system, that comes with responsibility. It also involves some type of moral compass. When we talked about ideological subversion, what did that gentleman that spoke in that uh, the, the former KGB guy, what did he say? He says, if you do not stop doing business with these people that don't share your values, you will make the ropes from which you will hang. If you don't stop doing business with these killers, like that, that's what's happened here. The finance heads, the corporation heads, the energy companies, they all think here in the West, oh, well, if they get tastes of capitalism, they'll become capitalists. Um, no, that's not how it works. You said that you were brought up in the era of you were still being taught like the, you know, the communist education system. That's what this is. We've been reverse infiltrated by Marxists. It wasn't the other way around. They didn't become capitalists. No, we got reverse infiltrated by Marxists and communists. That's what happened here. They've got the, the Western finance people and the politicians over a barrel. They've sold us out. And now those cuts 
have to be made. And they're trying to do it without crashing the world economy, and they're trying to save face at the same time while not admitting fault that they screwed up in the first place. So the local politique is the answer, in my opinion, my humble opinion. Yes, you're going to have to have uh, federal infrastructure and things, but hey, we have federalist systems here in the West, most notably the United States. I understand that we don't operate as that, but my God, we're supposed to. We seem to have forgotten that. Hell, the Germans, they took the federalist system from us. And they've ignored it because of COVID. They have the same type of thing. The, the local politique is supposed to tell the state, get lost when you come in here. Get lost. We don't need your, your kind around here. As in this, like the state politicians. The state politicians, when the federal government comes into their office, they're supposed to say, get the hell out of here. Get lost. We don't need your kind here. You don't know what's going on here. So the local politique, that's the best way to ensure that we build a strong, stable, inclusive I'll use one of their own words, system for the future where everybody gets a say. That's how it works. I love the way you kind of put it all together in such a neat package, John. I'm a little afraid of divide and conquer strategy that they might be using right now. I mean, if they say, you know, if East and West are getting separated, everything's getting chopped up. If we do end up breaking the smaller communities, you know, it might complicate the situation in a lot of parts of the world. And there's going to be a, a lot of infrastructure rebuilding. Basically, it's it's like you brought up. It's reminding me of the 90s in Russia. It's it's going to go back to locality. Local people is going to go back to the gangsters. It's going to go back to local figureheads. What I'm afraid of is that there's going to be someone, you know, a bigger entity is going to start swallowing small ones. And, you know, we're going to have a new, basically new Western empire. Great Britain may be connected to United States. I don't believe so. And the only reason I say that is because these international organizations here in the West, such as the European Union, the United Nations, this uh, whatever this monstrosity is that we've got in Washington, D.C. in the United States, all of these people have lost credibility. Mm. People don't trust them anymore. The, the financial institutions like BlackRock and, and the central banking cartels that put them in office along with the corporate heads that are on board with Klaus Schwab in this World Economic Forum nonsense, people don't trust that either. People don't trust the big pharma company. So I think there's a lack of public trust going forward. So I don't see some kind of a, uh, of a I don't know, a larger entity developing from that. I don't. Now, they might say that and promote that on the media. Fine. But we're going to have, what, a future based on wind, solar, hopes and dreams and eating bugs? I don't think so. I, I don't think uh, so. Maybe, we're going to have it based on maybe, digital currencies. No, you can kick rocks with that. So so we moved past. We, we moved past. Basically, we're dividing everything into two big sites. And, and if everything does go back to city-state, I think people might be better off, at least in, in Europe. As you said, people are going to have time to heal, reorganize themselves. If nothing big is going to rise, then thank God, maybe this is what we need to restructure for a little bit. I don't know what's going to happen over here in the United States. I hope there's not going to be a civil war. What is the best strategy that everybody could agree on? How could we divide resources that Russia can provide? Um, China has all the manpower in the world, but very low morale. Belarus is getting all covered in trenches. Mr. Um, Zelensky is basically like a kamikaze running around, just demanding the most he can, just absolute, you know what I mean? As far as he can just go. It's unbelievable. John, I don't know what to tell you. It's just... If it stops on this level, if it stops just with this Cold War and, and, and tribal division, how long do you think that's going to last before bigger alliances are going to start, you know, old territories are going to be redrawn? 
Well, I, I think reverting back to the nation states, I mean, let's just take Europe for an example. You've got 27, 28 for the UK left member states, no borders in between them. I can literally get in my car. I can drive, uh, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour, and I can drive into France from where I'm sitting right now. And there's absolutely nothing that will stop me. There's no border checkpoint. Like There's still like a police station right there, and there's still the old border there, but you just drive right through. You drop down to a certain uh, speed, and you drive right on through, and that's that's it. No one's checking my passport. Hell, I went to um, I went to Spain a few years ago. I couldn't find a single person to show my passport to. I mean, I could have just, like, you get free movement inside the block. But what happened when COVID started? Right when COVID everything started. Everything closed down. Everything closed. The borders went back up. It's like, right there's your admission of failure. Right there. And now you're saying, uh, well, we, we need to have more of that. Huh? We, <laughs> we need to double down on stupid. That's what's going on in Brussels, is we're not going to ensure common sense. We're going to double down on stupid. That's what they're doing. And so I don't see a, a larger thing developing here. I don't see the EU moving forward. I don't see NATO moving forward. I mean, NATO's an outdated concept. It's been uh, an outdated concept since the end of the Cold War, but we've just been keeping it around. The EU has been clamoring for 10 years to stand up a European, a European Union army, and no one could figure out why. Wait a minute, you got NATO. Why do you need a European Union army? That would put them in direct conflict with Russia. That would be disastrous right now if that would have happened 10 years ago. So let's thank God that they didn't figure that one out. So I don't see NATO moving forward. I don't see the European Union going much further. I mean, hell, they're on self-destruct as it is now anyway. Like these people are doing Ukrainian dances in Brussels in, in the parliament. And John, like, that's not, like, it's just, it's insane. Th these people are insane. Remember when you would play like a video game as a kid and you already reached like the score you were looking for and now you're just like dancing for bonus points? I mean, they already got the ball rolling fast and far enough that now it's just all the extra confusion destructions or it's just adding adding up to it. It's are we yeah. we're over the event horizon, right? With with this yeah. conflict. I I don't I, I just I don't see these types of things manifesting in the West. I don't see the United Nations even taking hold for much longer. I don't see the World Health Organization lasting. I, I don't see this. I see all these groups disbanding after all this is said and done. Now, what's going to be on the other side? I don't know. Klaus Schwab and his type seem to think that they're going to create some kind of whatever. They're going to come in. They're going to crash everything. And they're going to come in with the corporations and rebuild it all on their terms. I don't think that's going to go very well. I don't think it's, nonetheless, I think they're going to try, but it's not going to go the way they think it's going to go. This year, by the end of this year, I'm assuming that we're going to be seeing some sort of financial calamity. We're just waiting on a trigger. That's all we're waiting on. All the other mile markers, all the other signposts for a, a market crisis have been hit. Every switch has been flipped on that road. So we're set for some type of a credit crunch or, or a market crisis or a mortgage crisis or something. That's in the cards. Next year, 2023, you can quote me on this, 2023, that is going to be the year. Next year is going to be the year that decides which way this is going to go. I'm with you on that, John. That's, that's an excellent evaluation. If we do go back to this kind of a feudal system for a while or just get this chance to re-cleanse the system, I'm worried that people are going to end up, you know, rulers once again. It's going to be the same people that are kind of, that are setting themselves up for it right now. If it does go back to men protecting their towns, their cities, their homes, don't get drunk on that power. Everything needs to be organized and with families in mind. 
the family unit is the most basic cell of, you know, humans, men, women's mentality. Um, if we are rebuilding society from smaller, you know, cells, I would say, you know, smaller towns, smaller entities, the, the very essence of organization of society needs to be very family-based, very trade-based. And we need to avoid communism, communistic traits as well. It's almost like the homestead needs to be a um, financial unit rather than all the, you know, all the families are throwing together. And um, there needs to be some sort of a very rigid system so that it's not maybe necessarily the person is its own entity, but at least the family unit has a lot of financial freedom. Kind of, kind of like having a business right away, you know, like a, you can LLC your own family. That would might be a better direction, you know, and right away you start an education. Right away you start education um, and, and promote family, family independence, family unity. You know, one of the things that Marx talked about was the family being a bourgeois institution. That's why the, the biggest target of communist infiltration has always been the nuclear family. And when you bring up that families need to be financially and economically independent, that's what we used to have in the States and in the West. That's what it used to be before the family came under attack, before we were infiltrated in levels of academia and entertainment and politics and business and everything else, before the attack on the family began. That's what we had. That's what we had. We had a sense of laissez-faire capitalism. We had a sense of each family being its own independent economical unit. So much so that I, I can remember stories of like uh, my grandparents and their parents, obviously, you know, coming over to America from the old country, from Europe. And they were saying that when they were kids, if there was a problem in the family, as in whether it was a financial problem or or social problem or, or something, if there was an issue that a family member had, if somebody in the family had trouble, then the family would circle around that person and they would help them. And it would be dealt with in the family. No one else need be involved. It was just dealt with. That's what needs to happen again. That's what we have to rebuild. I was on the phone with Ned today and he says we need some kind of a of a stabilizing factor because we were talking about what's gone on and I showed the two of you what was going on on British television over the weekend. We need some kind of stabilizing factor. This this descent into barbarism is what we were discussing. That has to stop. And I said Christianity has been that stabilizing force. That's what stopped barbarism. I mean, when the Roman Empire collapsed, you had about 400 years of, of this descent into just absolute chaos and insanity. And then you had the birth of Christianity, and it became a stabilizing factor. People had morals, people had values, people had kindness, empathy, charity. We've got to get back to that. Everything else has been, has been destroyed. Bruce, you're the house theologian. How do we get back to a stabilizing force like like Christianity. I mean, I know you've been uh, very difficult. You, you've been very, very hard on the uh, the Christian congregation in general, not picking on any denominations here. You've been very hard on the um, the pulpit people, shall we say, and the flocks for their inaction or their misinterpretation of or compliance or, or any of that. How do we reinstill in society uh, during the rebuilding process, not saying that it can be done right now? In, in the immediate, but long term, because we're going to have to rebuild that. How do we go about doing that, in your opinion? Um, well, you you kind of, in your sum up of my position, pretty much hit it. Uh, you're going to have to have Christians uh, stepping up and being the salt of the earth again to hold 
uh, we've talked about it before. When you look at the founders, you look at the very beginning of this nation, churches, pastors, they were kind of like the recruiting agents for the Minutemen. Like they were some of the most um, radical, if you want to use uh, those kind of terms, uh, w when it came to pushing for uh, the revolution. And I'm not saying the Christians should be pushing for a civil war or anything like that. That's not what I'm alluding to. What I'm alluding to is the Christians need to stand up and um, practice what you preach. If you truly believe in Christ, you believe in the Bible, you believe in the positions, then you should be standing up against evil. You should be standing up against this. That That's the whole reason that Christianity was uh, kind of a, a, a stabilizing factor in the past is because the average person stood up against evil. They stood up against this this nonsense that's going on. And, and unfortunately, it, Christians have been severely lacking um, that salt of the earth. And uh, what what happens to the salt of the earth if it loses its flavor? You just get trampled on, just like the dust of the earth. Bruce, man, you raise awesome point. And I want to add that I'm a little scared that I know some some of the churches got infiltrated and the way I look at it is if it looks more like a faith factory where, you know, the priest is basically living in the church or if it looks more like a money hall where, you know, donations go towards jets and all this. I'm, I'm myself of Christian Orthodox um, religion. Our ceremonies that just the view of older Christian religion is more, there's so, there's so many stories about men and temples and, you know, growing up in temples and, and cities being formed around temples. The temple was the center of faith where if you were scared and if you didn't know where to go, you would go, you would talk to the priest. So if you see somebody coming up to the, to your town, to your, you know, to your gates, you would send somebody, you would send a woman, you know, and then some, you know, maybe some older people with bread and salt, just like Bruce was talking about. And it was a costume to, you know, dip the bread into the salt and take a bite. And, and that's the welcoming gesture. I mean, when we go back to hunger, more of a feudalism kind of a way, bread is the mother. You know, that's why Russia would call, we call Russia the motherland um, because it feeds you. Bread is holy. In Russia, that's why, you know, one of those statues that the symbol of communist Russia is a man holding a hammer and a woman holding a sickle. Industry and farming together, it could work, but, you know, it's like they use right symbolism for completely wrong, ex you know, ideas and the way they execute it. Everybody's sensitive enough to tell whether or not something is real inside the temple. Basically, it's from what we've been saying all along, local politique. It, that's basically what it has to boil. That's what it boils down to. The the Christians of um, you know just at the local level, you, you get involved in politics. That's something that has to happen if you truly want to change the world. And I, I literally mean the world. Then the Christian people need to be standing up and getting into these political positions and standing on their faith. You stand against all the evil. And stand for trying to make communities better, like families, you know, uh, bringing that back. Law and order. I mean, that's that's something else that is very biblical, very Christian. You know what? You just you just said it right there. And it just it, like it just hit me like a ton of bricks. If we actually had a just system right now, I don't care. Pick your country. I don't care wherever you're listening to us from. If we had a just system of law and order, none of this would be going on. None of it. All we have to do. It's the criminality. Do, 
No, you're, in the, you're in right. The upper echelons, criminality in the upper echelon. Yeah. All that has to happen here is for law enforcement to do their job. That's all that has to happen here. It doesn't have to even go outside of that. Of course, you've got to have the judiciary do their job as well. But let's be honest. The people that are above them in the um, branches of government, do you think that they're going to allow themselves to be arrested? Do you think they're going to allow themselves to be held accountable under the fullest extent of the law like you or I? No. No, certainly not. not. No. And to make it clear, I am exactly for what you said, law and justice. Absolutely. Not unnecessary, chaotic, you know. And fair trial. And violence. Yeah, fair trial is what I exactly like. I hope if it's such a brilliant idea, if just the courts, you know, everybody got kind of, you know what I mean? What what they deserve court wise, law and order wise. A lot of things would change. It would. Now, let's just take the open border, for example, right? The U.S. southern border. You wouldn't have a problem at the U.S. southern border if you'd simply enforce the law. We don't need any more laws on the books. What do we have, like five million laws on the books in America? The hell do we need all those laws for? I don't think we need like five million laws or whatever the hell number it is. I don't think it's that high, but I'm just I'm just saying we've got some ridiculous laws that are in there and we don't need more of them. We just need to enforce what we have. You don't need to put more gun laws in America on the books. You've got gun laws already. Enforce them. That's all you have to do. You worried about the gun crime in any major American city? I am. I, I'm not talking like some uh, some politician that's up there that runs on that and campaigns on that and then does nothing and it gets worse. I actually believe that gun violence in cities needs to be solved. And there's a simple way to solve them. Take the handcuffs off of law enforcement and let them do their jobs. Get rid of these BS district and state's attorney's offices that won't prosecute any crimes. Get rid of them. I would also add, um, you're talking about gun crimes. If you want to decrease gun crimes, then stop with these BS gun laws. Like, as an example, New York and some of these places have that keep oh, the, yeah. the law-abiding citizen from having firearms. If everyone was allowed to have firearms, as far as the law-abiding citizenry, freely, no, no regulations, nothing in the way of, to keep them from getting firearms, just as the Second Amendment says then you're going to have criminals afraid to break into people's homes just or to today, rob them or, or rape or assault. Yes, just today, school shooting in St. Louis, Missouri. Three people were shot. The third person that was shot was the gunman who was shot dead by a security guard who was armed. Thank not, God. Not in the news. Not in the news. Nope. Because that brings to attention, you need people with guns. To stop. Um, you know, to stop. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to say that, you know, somewhere over there, it's all about lawyering and lawyers and, and law and stretching things out. The more separated the law is, the more branch it is, the more thorny it is, the longer the process is. You, you know, it's all designed to drag and be stagnant and just be manipulative if you have enough, you know, access to it. If we're going to continue going about this um, kind of prediction, so what are, what are we seeing in America? Like, what what is the closest place that you can go to and talk to people? I mean, I, I've been going to some churches. I've been, you know, t- trying to see what kind of mood people are in. And, and nobody wants to send money anywhere. And, and it's always people like one reparations for all this price hiking and all the shenanigans that are happening. And no one has any control over the TVs. People call it the clown box now because, I mean, it's all a TV show. It's all a ridiculous TV show. Honestly, I, I don't know. I mean, you've got you've got a clown show that's going on in the White House. 
that doesn't give the public confidence. That doesn't give people confidence in in whatever's uh, the representative uh, leadership. That doesn't instill uh, a sense of security in people. You know, I, I read today that we only have like 25 days of diesel left in our strategic oil reserves in the United States. And yet the White House comes out and says that the levels are dangerously low and this is unacceptable and we need to think about restocking these. Um, Fool, you're the one that's releasing it. It's like I was telling Bruce, it's like it's like shooting holes in the bottom of your lifeboat and then saying, the hell, what's going on with all these these holes in the bottom of the lifeboat? What you don't What's going on with the Saudis? Put them there. What about the Saudis? What about the production of oil is going is going down, right? Like, are the Emirates so like stop, you know, killing the relationship with the United States? Like, what's going on over there? Because that's a big factor well, in everything, too. Bruce, you have a different opinion on that. Uh, you and I were talking about yeah. that privately the other day. Go ahead. So, when it comes to the okay, my opinion on this. With the, the way the Saudis are, are treating us now, after the agreements we have done, the protections we have given them and everything over the years, and basically empowered them to, well, become filthy rich. And now they're, they're doing this. What I think should happen is uh, the U.S. needs to go back to drilling and processing their own oil and gas. We're more than capable. We have plenty of reserves to do that. Um, uh, uh, just Alaska or <laughs> the previous reserves that we had in other locations like here in Oklahoma and Texas and whatnot, um, they found that, oh, wow, there's still a lot of oil in those locations. So we should be drilling. We should be uh, extracting our own oil, processing it, and we should be making such a surplus and putting it on the market for cheap that basically flips the bird to the Saudis and said, because you guys screwed us around and, and you know, when we had this agreement, um, we're now going to wreck your economy by um, doing this. And, you know, they, they talk about at the same time, we want to stick it to Putin and all of that. They require $80, uh, 80 to to $100 uh, a barrel oil. Become energy. I mean, it'll, it'll get them to stop. Outcompete him. That's all you have to do in the energy wars. Is, you think Biden is capable of doing that? Like encouraging all this like domestic drilling and, and yes, this yes. Order? He, okay. He, he is, is, but only only because if he were for America and he were for, uh, well, all the things we just talked about, um, you know, the the law and I meant realistically, and, and like if if I meant realistically, do you guys think he would, will do it? No, no, I I don't no, think yeah. so. I think he's a I think he's just a he's just a sellout. But I mean, here's that's, a guy. That's what I meant. Here's, yeah. Here's a guy who's eating scoops of ice cream and he's saying our economy strong as hell. Do you know what that well, means? He, that means it's not. He he there's he promised to sign so many things as soon as he has the power. Now he's waiting to do it after the election, you know, after November. And you were right in the sense that he has the power to do it all. But will he realistically? No. Well, <laughs> there, there's 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 a bit of a. OK, so the Supreme Court has ruled three times now that the federal land that's in states is owned by the states, not the Fed. So the Fed is saying, well, you can't do any new oil drilling uh, in, in, um, on federal lands in those states. Now, they tell you at the same time there's been more drilling going on now under the Biden administration than in history, right, than in American history. When you look at when those contracts were actually handed out, when they were actually doled out, that was actually under the Trump administration that were doled out. And it just they, they 
continued on into the Biden administration. They continued going. So the Biden administration said, well, see, these are the contracts that we did. Uh, you know, this is this is what we did. No, when when Biden took office, he can't he stopped all new contracts. There is no new contracts going out uh, for drilling. These are contracts that Trump signed. Exactly. Um, I remember, you know, they're making a big point how drilling will stop. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And and exactly. I mean, it's been what, only like six months. I don't even remember how little time ago I heard Biden saying the opposite of what he's saying now. Well, he was saying that on the campaign trail. It's been he's on record saying that he's going to stop all oil, uh, all petroleum. But yeah, we're Keystone, producing all of that. Well, Keystone. The most he, right he, now. Yeah. It, but at the same time, he's saying we're producing more oil than we've ever done in American history. The thing is, those federal lands, which is the, the part that I'm getting at, those federal lands are owned by the states. So the states, the governors should be going, hey, oil companies, if you want to start drilling again, come talk to us and we'll sign off on it because that's our land, not the feds. So I, I wish states would start doing that um, and and we start drilling more here. Now, the problem is, is because Biden has done this and we're now two years into this, basically what's it's going to take a bit to get things spun up. That's the problem. OK, we start drilling and everything. It's going to be like six months to a year before we really start seeing any changes because you have to get the production up. Then you have to get the the logistics going to the, the refineries and then to get that refined and then get it out to the markets. Uh, so you're not going to see an, an immediate change. We're going to feel the pain for a bit longer. Uh, I, I but wonder. if we would have done this in the beginning when Biden said, we're shutting all this down, if those red states would have taken the, the initiative and been like, you know what, screw you, federal government, we're doing this anyway, then we wouldn't be in this situation when it when it comes to energy. Yeah, I, I wonder. You know this theme song, theme song from Looney Tunes? It's just, that's what keeps playing in the back of my head. Go ahead, John. You know, I I wonder how long it's going to take for us to have a um. How do I put this? I I know that we we use petroleum products in this as well, but the the bigger concern is that this comes from China, uh, and that's our pharmaceutical industry. Uh, and I'm not I'm not talking about every single thing. I'm talking about pharmaceutical drugs, prescription drugs, pills. Right, Americans, man, we are a pill popping nation, aren't we? We got a drug for everything. We got a pill for everything in America. Just take this and buddy, that's going to fix your problem. <laughs> yeah, right. I wonder how long it's going to take for us to have some kind of a problem because we're not on good terms with China right now. I mean, we're doing a lot of damage to their economy and we're cutting them out of a lot of deals. Well, you see, the Chinese have a monopoly control of something called um, active pharmaceutical ingredients, APIs, as in the chemicals that are used in the manufacturing of prescription drugs. Those come from China, not us, not the Europeans. I mean, we had them. Uh, the Indians, they had them. You know, we were all on good terms. And then somehow or another, I want to say it was in the 90s under, oh boy, who was the president in the in the 90s? Oh, gee whiz. Clinton. Yeah. Clinton, yep. That's when it started. We started moving the active pharmaceutical ingredients over to China and our prescription drugs in the West would come from there. So how long is it before we have a drug crisis problem? John, can, I just want to add right now, because I do have a friend who works at a local pharmacy. I know plenty of people, there's giant shortages already. Um, on certain medications, they, they, they say two, two, three weeks um, until they even see it themselves. So I know that where I am in New England, it's, it's definitely something is happening. It's been like this for months. So I definitely feel that. And also, can we mention that all the chips, like are made, you know, in Asia, like all the computer parts, 
are also made in Asia. I mean, what do we produce that we don't use daily? It's the, the restructure is going to take at least 10, 5, 10 years until we feel anything positive. Um, well, we already it depends. Know- yeah, it depends. Um, when I saw, and I mentioned this last week, when I saw that the the company, the chip manufacturer, Intel, right, Intel computer chips, I mean, they make all kinds of stuff. When I saw that they signed a deal with the Germans to build a $17 billion chip manufacturing company, and it was the construction was to begin immediately, that disappeared. Like that was in the news for a whole day, and then it disappeared. When I saw that, my first thought was Taiwan. They're going to give up Taiwan. That's what's going to happen because all of those chips, like the global chip industry, is where it's in Taiwan. South Korea. Well, it's Taiwan. South Korea. Where's Samsung? So I thought Samsung and Motorola. Japan. Motorola then is in South Korea. Japan. Hmm. All right. Well, anyway, I might be wrong. Well, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Motorola was bought by Google. Who knows? They probably have their manufacturing in China now. But uh, I did see last week that uh, all American engineers in China who were working in chip industry companies all resigned and fled the country on the same day, on October 13th. Wow. Yeah. So that put a serious dent in their chip manufacturing. And of course, who's China been talking about reunifying or um, reconnecting with or rejoining with? Uh, That would be Taiwan. And who has the global chip industry? Taiwan. This is one of the things that Trump declassified before he left office. And that was the United States, Japan, and Australia have a treaty with Taiwan that were to protect them for the next 30 years. 48 hours ago, the Japanese and the Australians signed a security pact militarily, a military security pact. They're hooked up. I was telling Ned on the phone today, this is how it's going to have to be. As far as any kind of a, of a conflict, dealing with any kind of a conflict, this is how it's going to have to be. You're going to have to have the Aussies. You're going to have to have the New Zealanders, if they can get rid of that that creature horse face down there. You're going to have to have them come on board. You're going to need the Japanese. You're going to need the UK. You're going to need America. It's going to have to happen. It's going to be that way. And you need France. You've got to have France. You can't have this work without France. You've got to have France and you've got to have Germany. You've got to have those two mainland European countries. You've got to have Italy. You can throw Italy in the mix, too. But these countries have to come together. Canada, Canada will follow because that's what the UK and that's what France will do. So we'll follow the rest of the Commonwealth. They'll go whichever way. It doesn't matter. Forget Trudeau. Forget Freeland. These these yahoos up there. Forget these people. Forget Macron and, and the rest of them. These people are idiots. If you're going to form an alliance militarily, if you're going to protect what interests you have in these powerhouses in the West then it has to be that way. With all that being said, we are out of time, gentlemen. Closing thought, Pavel? Bruce, yeah, well, I'll go to Bruce first and then Pavel. Honestly, I, I just want to reiterate, government's bad. I, I know that's a trope that I say, but government's bad. We need limited government and go back to the local politique like we've been talking and Christians just start standing up. That, that would be, that'd be great. You know, if you guys would just, not a, you don't even necessarily have to stand up, just stand on your principles. Um, resist tyranny. Uh, tyranny is one of the things we're supposed to be fighting against. Wow, Bruce, you kind of read my mind. You know what? And if you are a Christian, there's so much distraction and there's so much pollution, even what you hear about faith or Bible, you know, pick a small part of Bible, maybe, and just something that you identify with, you know, hug your kids. It's so overcomplicated what's going on, you know, above our heads. But 
it all still at the end, just the only thing that matters is you and your family and your loved ones and start maybe educating yourself a little bit, start the same exact things, you know, and if you don't pray, come up with something that you do daily. That's, that's a little routine that at least kind of puts a little bit of faith in your head. I just want to wish luck to everybody. I wish, I wish peace because no matter what happens next, at the end of the day, it's just going to be people that are next to you that are still going to be there every day. And you don't want to lose those and you don't want to lose yourself. Just go back to yourself and your friends and family. It's well said, my friend. And we will see you next week, God willing. For those of you who'd like to send us some feedback, please do so anytime by sending us an email at dynamicpodcast.protonmail.com. Also, do you like the podcast you're listening to? We do love having you as a listener and we would ask you to pass this along to five friends. If you know someone you're trying to wake up and get them to think on their own, we would appreciate it very much if you would send them our direction. It's been an absolute pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you both for being here this evening. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a great evening.